the Bible Study Podcast, episode 741. Today, the Bible Study Podcast continues the study of the book of Hosea with chapter 13. Welcome to the Bible Study Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Christensen. We continue on with our study here of Hosea. We are starting to wrap this down. Hosea has 14 chapters, so there's just one more after this week. This chapter, again, not so much good news. The Lord's anger against Israel. When Ephraim spoke, people trembled. He was exalted in Israel, but he became guilty of Baal worship and died. Now they sin more and more. They make idols for themselves from their silver, cleverly fashioned images, all of them the work of craftsmen. It is said of these people, they offer human sacrifices, they kiss calf idols. Therefore, they will be like the morning mist, like the early dew that disappears, like chaff swirling from a threshing floor, like smoke escaping through a window. But I have been the Lord your God ever since you came out of Egypt. You shall acknowledge no God but me, no Savior except me. I cared for you in the wilderness, in the land of burning heat. When I fed them, they were satisfied. When they were satisfied, they became proud. Then they forgot me. So I will be like a lion to them. Like a leopard, I will lurk by the path. Like a bear robbed of her cubs, I will attack them and rip them open. Like a lion, I will devour them. A wild animal will tear them apart. You were destroyed, Israel because you are against me, against your helper. Where is your king that he may save you? Where are your rulers in all your towns, of whom you said, Give me a king and princes? So in my anger I gave you a king, and in my wrath I took him away. The guilt of Ephraim is stored up, his sins are kept on record. Pains as of a woman in childbirth come to him, but he is a child without wisdom. When the time arrives, he doesn't have the sense to come out of the womb. I will deliver this people from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. Where, O death, are your plagues? Where, O grave, is your destruction? I will have no compassion, even though he thrives among his brothers. An east wind from the Lord will come, blowing in from the desert. His spring will fail and his well dry up. His storehouse will be plundered and all its treasures. The people of Samaria must bear their guilt because they have rebelled against their God. They will fall by the sword. Their little ones will be dashed to the ground. Their pregnant women ripped open. Yikes, God is mad. Uh, The people of Israel here are getting this one of these last two warnings from the prophet Hosea. Again, we get one more chapter next week, and I can tell you right up front, it's not going to be everything is all better. But it will be that chance to make everything all better. Because again, the reason why God is expressing his anger against Israel is so that they might repent. We talk about the anger of God, and it definitely shows up in the Old Testament, shows up in the New Testament too. But when God is angry, God is angry but willing to not be angry. God is telling them this so that they will repent, so that they will change their ways, which, of course, we know they did not. And so he says, when when Ephraim spoke, people trembled. He was exalted in Israel. So he's talking about, you know, how wonderful Israel was, all lifted up, but then— He became guilty of Baal worship and died. 
And so that really is the whole problem in this whole book is that worship of other gods. And then it goes on to talk about these gods, these idols, these things made by human hands. Right now they sin more and more. They make idols for themselves from their silver, cleverly fashioned images, all of them work of craftsmen. So these aren't really God, right? These aren't even a God. These are basically things that someone has made. And God, the God of all things and the creator of all things and the savior of Israel who brought them out of Egypt, wants to point out that difference here that those things can't save them. And not only that, it's bad that they're worshiping these things that they created with their own hands, but also it said it is said of these people they offer human sacrifice, they kiss calf idols. So not only that, but they're doing terrible things in the worship of these things that can't help them, that can't save them. How awful it is that they're not even giving up something of value, like a human life for anything of value. God is saying, you know, why are you doing what you're doing, basically? And then it has this poetic but scary part that basically says they're going to disappear like the mist, like the morning mist, like the early dawn dew that disappears, like chaff swirling around the threshing floor, like smoke escaping through a window. Basically, I don't know if you've ever tried to capture smoke, but it it wants to dissipate. And basically, these people are going to be dissipated. They're going to go away. And like the morning mist, like the smoke, you're not going to be able to find them again. It's been a lot of people over the years who have tried to look for the lost tribes of Israel. Well, in this chapter here, and in the chapter to come, and in the other prophets, the major and minor prophets, God is talking to Israel saying, you're going to be lost to tribes. You're basically going to disappear like the mist unless you change your ways. I've been the Lord your God since you came out of Egypt. You shall acknowledge no God but me, no Savior but me. I cared for you in the wilderness, in the land of the burning heat. When I fed them, they were satisfied. When they were satisfied, they became proud and they forgot me. And so God is looking back on that Exodus experience, that experience when he came through Moses and said, I am that I am, that God that brought them out through mighty acts, through plagues, through through splitting the Red Sea, through splitting the River Jordan when they came on into the promised land and said, I'm going to be your God, or you're not going to have anybody. Um, basically, that you're not going to have any other God but me. You know, And reminds them of that desert, that time they went through, that time when they were fed when there was nothing to eat because God provided, that time when there was water, even when Moses was striking stones and water was coming out of the rock when there was nothing to drink. They were fed, they were satisfied, But when they were satisfied, they became proud and they forgot me. This is something that I've talked about before that can be a risk for us is it is easy to remember God when you need God. It is harder to remember God when you are satisfied, when you are proud. Fortunately for us, this has been a tough year. And I see fortunately for us that sometimes one of the things that can happen in tough years is we can turn our eyes back to God. And hopefully, hopefully we have, or hopefully we will. 
and then God compares himself to wild beasts, to lions and bears and uh, wild animals. So I'll be like a lion to them, like a leopard I will lurk by the path, like a bear robbed of her cubs I will attack them and rip them open, like a lion I will devour them, a wild animal will tear them apart. There's some anger here. But also if you think about a wild animal, the wild animal attack is vicious and sudden. It isn't like you, a lion, for instance, and also a leopard attack, particularly in ambush. It's the lion you don't see coming that is probably the one that's going to get you. It's the leopard that drops from the tree that is your demise. And so the day that God is going to finally be done with these people is going to come at them very suddenly and by surprise. You don't want to get between an angry God and a disobedient people any more than you want to get between a bear and her cubs. A difficult and dangerous place to be. You were destroyed, Israel, because you were against me, against your helper. Where is your king that he may save you? Where are your rulers in all your towns of whom you said, give me a king and princes? So in my anger, I gave you a king and in my wrath, I took him away. So we're coming back here and we're looking back on the days of Samuel. You may remember that from the study we did of first and second Samuel. And they come to the people, the people of Israel come to Samuel and say, tell God we want a king like everybody else who has a king. And Samuel was upset because he said, God is your king. And they said, we want one like everybody else. We want to be like everybody else. And so God gave them a king. And so that's what we're getting here. Where's your king that he may save you? Where are your rulers in all your towns of whom you said, give me a king and princes? So in my anger, I gave you a king and in my wrath, I took him away. So the king was given to the Israel by God and the king can take him away. This is one of those, I brought you into this world, I can take you out sort of moments. And he's saying, the king is not more important than God. Now remember the king of Israel After the time of Solomon, when the Israel and Judah split, it was the king of Israel who was the source of a lot of their problems. The king of Israel who said, let's set up idols, let's set up idols, let's set up altars here so they don't have to go down to Jerusalem to worship. So the kings have been a source of the leading of the people astray. And God is saying, it's not like the king and I are equal. I put the king in place, I can take the king away. I gave you a kingdom, I can take the kingdom away. The guilt of Ephraim is stored up, his sins are kept on record. Pains as of a woman in childbirth come to him, but he is a child without wisdom. When the time arrives, he doesn't have the sense to come out of the womb. What an odd picture here. Can you imagine a child who... It's time for the child to be born, and the child says, no, I'm happy where I am. (laughs) That particularly would not be uh, pleasing to the mother, I imagine. At that point, you're about two weeks after the, I can't possibly imagine being pregnant for another minute. Um, It would be certainly very annoying for the child to say, I don't want to be born. It would also be very dangerous for everyone. A child can't grow in the womb, and both child and mother survive. That's just not going to happen. There's a limited amount of time that you have in the womb, and then you need to move on. And the people of Israel have a limited amount of time here to act and to act wisely. 
I will deliver these people from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. Where, O death, are your plagues? Where, O grave, is your destruction? I see in this God still saying, I still want to deliver you. I still want you to turn around. I will still love you if you turn around. I will have no compassion, even though he thrives among his brothers. An east wind from the Lord will come, blowing in the desert. His spring will fail, and his well dry up. His storehouses will be plundered of all its treasures. So very quickly thereafter is, but if you don't, this is what it's going to be like. And if you've been to Israel, it's interesting to note that when you're in Jerusalem, for instance, you're just a stone's throw from real desert. Uh, if you go out into the wilderness, if you go out into the, not even to the Sinai, uh, if you go east towards the Jordan River, you're in some very, very barren country. The barren country that was called the wilderness at the time of Jesus, where Jesus is sent out after he is baptized in the Jordan River. It is barren. It, there's not much there at all. Not much green, a lot of brown. And you're right there on that on that edge right between the the desert is always close by and yet the water from the Jordan River or from the other rivers in the area basically make that desert bloom and there's always that danger that it will dry up that that well that is your source of life in that dry country will go away and God is sort of using that probably fear that is always in their minds and saying this is what's coming an east wind will come blowing in the desert. His spring will fail and his well will dry up. And and when they do, life ends if you're in that kind of place. His storehouses will be plundered of all its treasures. All that you have saved, all that you have worked for will be gone. The people of Samaria must bear their guilt because they have rebelled against their God. They will fall by the sword. Their little ones will be dashed to the ground. Their pregnant women ripped open. That's what's going to happen if you don't change your ways. And this is one of the last of the pleas here through the prophet Hosea to do that. The time is running out for Israel. And the time did run out. And these are hard chapters to deal with. It's easy to look at this and look at the anger of God and say, wow, that's really an angry God, and forget how many hundreds of years not just years, not just months, how many hundreds of years God has been patient with Israel, and that patience will come to an end. God is long-suffering, but eventually, eventually all will be put right, or there will be consequences. With that, with those cheery words, we're going to end this episode of the Bible Study Podcast. If you have any questions, send an email to host at thebiblestudypodcast.com, or better yet, leave a comment on this episode at thebiblestudypodcast.com. And thanks so much for listening. Are you concerned about tensions in the Middle East? Do you wonder where we're currently at in the biblical timeline? Are we really in the last days? Hi, everyone. I'm Dr. Carl Muller with the Inside the Epicenter podcast. Every week, my co-host, best-selling author Joel Rosenberg, and I answer those questions and more. You'll hear inside knowledge of our meetings with leaders at the highest levels of government in the U.S., Israel, and the Middle East. 
equipping you to filter the news with biblically sound insights. Find Inside the Epicenter on your favorite podcast app or go to joshuafun.com to listen and subscribe.